And welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. I'll be here until 11. We have an open line this first hour, then a conversation with Jim Nolan. He's talking Illinois uh, politics uh, with Mr. Nolan. He is a retired uh, senior fellow with the University of Illinois Institute of Government and Public Affairs. Writes a uh, newspaper uh, column for several uh, newspapers. The, the Gazette has a column of his uh, in there uh, periodically, and uh, we've talked to him several times as we headed up toward trying to get a budget. We'll see what he thinks now, winners, losers, etc. Before we get into any of the headlines this morning, I want to talk a little bit about this uh, letter that I received. Somebody sent it to me, and they didn't sign their name or anything else. He said, I thought you might find this of of interest. And uh, this is the person that uh, holds on to things, <laughs> evidently. This is a letter to the a state employees. And it says, The state of Illinois has just passed through one of the hardest times it has ever faced. Through all the political posturing and the delays The one constant was the resolve of the state employees to continue to service the citizens of Illinois. On behalf of all my constituents who rely on those services, I want to thank you. This letter is from Tim Johnson. Tim Johnson, at this particular time, was a member of the House over in Springfield. And he talks about... uh, On March the 6th, when Governor Edgar presented a budget to the General Assembly, that he supported it, Uh, Johnson did. He said, unfortunately, in the following four months, all the way up to the June 30th deadline, the governor's budget was never called for a vote by the Speaker, Michael Madigan. As you no doubt read in the press, the budget impasse resulted from different and strongly held opinions by the governor and the House Speaker. Governor Edgar and his supporters wanted to make the 3% surcharge permanent with half the dollars generated directed toward education. Speaker Madigan and his supporters wanted a two-year temporary tax increase and a larger share of the revenue produced to be directed to non-educational Uh, social services. In fact, at no time from the introduction of the governor's budget on March the 6th till the last day of the legislative session was any budget presented for a vote. And on and on. The reason I'm reading that is that sounds like this year, didn't it? August 12th, 1991, 
was the date on that letter, August 12, 1991. Things uh, have changed somewhat, but the battle goes on between Mike Madigan and whoever is the governor. Uh, Sheila, you're first up this morning. What's up, Sheila? Well, I just want to make a comment. Um, I was told that you had at least two callers yesterday complaining about the paper. I wasn't able to hear it because our power was off. Anyway, I agree with the, with the caller who said, I have taken the paper for years and years, and everything was fine until a few weeks ago. And I never get the paper at 6 o'clock anymore. Um, it just varies. Well, what time, what time does it come? Well, this morning it was 20 to 7. Okay. The other morning it was almost 8. It varies, but rarely is it here at 6 o'clock like it's supposed to be. Um, I told the woman I talked to, I said, I'm not going to call in again. But I don't know whose fault, if it's the Carrier, the News Gazette, or Peoria. Um, but it's very frustrating because it's, up until then, the paper was always here by 6 o'clock, if not earlier. Um, that's all. He's not the only one that's unhappy. No, I, I know he is not. You're right. I've had uh, some calls uh, since the, the News Gazette was... Uh uh, and when they began uh, getting it printed in uh, Peoria, they, I think they realized they would have uh, some difficulty in, in getting the thing uh, started. It hadn't been going very long, so let's hope it improves. But all I can uh, advise to, to people to do, and you've already done it, is to call them and uh, tell them. Yeah. Because yeah. they, uh, I know they want to know. They're, they're not trying to hide behind anything. They want to know. Is this working? How how can we make this better and so on? So well, apparently it's. I live in Philo, and apparently it's the little towns around um, Champaign-Urbana that are having problems. Uh, uh, thank you for letting me vent. I appreciate it. Bye bye. You, you feel better, Sheila? <laughs> well, she hung up. I was just kind of kidding around with her. Uh, sometimes it's good to vent, but. Uh, she uh, she pointed out was she wanted to make sure that uh, the everyone knew that the people that called yesterday were not the only ones, and I don't know how big of a problem it is. I I can uh, talk to them uh, down there, and if they or if they have anything, as I mentioned yesterday, if they have anything they want me to say to to uh, listeners who may have the same problem, I'd be happy to um, to do that. Some of the other uh, local uh, stories, day 33 of the search for the Chinese scholar. And at the same time, the U of I campus is adding about 200 more surveillance cameras to enhance security and provide evidence in cases of criminal acts. That story in the paper this morning, as is this one uh, written by Mary Shank in the Pyatt County murder trial. A pathologist testifies that Mrs. Hauser was strangled, said the evidence was inconsistent with hanging. And uh, I didn't know this was going the way it is going, but the Midwest Prep Academy is underway at Rantoul. A four-and-a-half-month-long program. It's blending football and academics. 
More than 40 students have arrived from all over the world, and uh, this is uh, good for uh, Rantoul, that's for sure. Hope it's uh, good for the young people, and uh, there must be something that would attract people from far away to come to this kind of a uh, academy. Glad to see it's up and running, and the people in Rantoul are happy since uh, the Illini football team decided or the the uh, coach decided uh, not to have Camp Rantoul any longer. In other news, uh, Trump Jr., the emails show that he welcomed Russian help during the campaign. Some are saying, and no big deal, but others use the word like treason and obstruction. President Trump praises his son as a high-quality person and applauds his transparency. Talk about when he released the emails. Meanwhile, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has announced that the Senate will delay its recess until the third week of August. Once more time for the, guess what, the health care bill. Clues are being sought to the cause of that plane crash in Mississippi that killed all 16 persons on board. And a Japanese blogger has cast some doubt on the Amelia Earhart photograph recently released. Don't know if you saw the documentary on the the, uh, History Channel the other night. Very interesting, of course, but they uh, they came up with a photograph that uh, they think shows that it's Amelia Earhart and the uh, navigator that was uh, traveling with her. And their idea is that she landed her plane in the the Marshall Islands, was uh, 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 caught there by the uh, Japanese and... uh, I don't know exactly, uh, didn't see any details about... She was uh, arrested or taken as a prisoner, but uh, don't know. They didn't have any details about uh, what happened to her or how how much longer it was did she have uh, before she died and so on. But anyway, this Japanese blogger says, "Look, I, I've got this picture. It's uh, it was taken two years before Amelia Earhart even attempted this uh, flight, so it's not her." So the people of the History Channel are now looking into it, looking into it to see if uh, what they can find out, because this was, this was I think, a two-hour show on Amelia Earhart the other night, and the main thing was the photograph. It purported to show her uh, on, the, uh, on the deck or out on a wharf of uh, some sort, and as she was sitting down, she had her back to the camera. The, there were only two uh, uh, white people there. The one they said was Amelia Earhart, and one who said it was her navigator, and showed a boat coming in and was towing what looked like a, uh, a crashed airplane, and uh, so on. So it was uh, fun to, to look at and to watch, uh, and now, who knows whether they're right or whether the Japanese blogger is right or uh, 
we'll still have these continuing searches for Amelia Earhart that have gone on for years and years and years. It's 917. This is an open line. It's 81 degrees already. Going to be toasty today, so take that into consideration. Seems like every time somebody talks about this, they always have to warn you about what to do. Don't stay out in the sun too long. Drink plenty of water, etc., etc. Yes, we understand. That's what you do when it gets to be this kind of weather. We'll take a quick break. We're coming back. What else is going on? Anything uh, going on uh, that you would like to uh, share with the audience? Anything that uh, you read in the paper or saw on television or heard on the radio? Certainly had a interesting day out here yesterday uh, with the weather and the people over in Lincoln. Boy, they got hit the night before and uh, two days in a row with uh, bad weather. Saw some of the uh, uh, television uh, uh, photographs and uh, some of the uh, the uh, video that they took of the all the trees down, and it was really a mess. Really is a mess. Eric is next. Hello, Eric. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. You know, this fiscal situation that Illinois has got themselves in is really not funny anymore. And uh, there's too many taxing bodies. There's too many people cheating on their pensions, those teachers up in Chicago that got promoted right before they retired. And we need a new revenue stream and to reduce those expenses. And I think you're having a guest on later that has some knowledge on this. And I'd really like to hear somebody like him encourage the regular voters in this state to support the legalization of cannabis and dumps the bias against cannabis and see the light that we need a revenue stream. Colorado and other states have already done the hard work. The results are on the books. It's no mystery that there's some easy money there and that it's the only solution I can see to these problems. And we need to confront them like adults and get to work and get this behind us. Oh, but it's so much easier just to say we're going to tax people. Well, <laughs> that's, it, uh, that seems to be... Uh, you know, I don't find any humor in that, Jim. Well, I'm I just, get your point uh, that that's what they're doing, but I really think the taxation here is plenty high enough and the exodus of people that are leaving this state is just creating a larger burden on the ones that remain. That's true, and uh, certainly the uh, the cannabis, uh, as you have explained, uh, and uh, has worked in many states, and uh, the amount of money that uh, the state makes uh, is uh, it's phenomenal. It's significant. Yeah, it really is, and uh, I, I don't know what you think about... Uh, gambling, but uh, those casinos uh, bring in some bucks, too. Well, I'd like to get off the bias about lumping it together with other syntaxes. I think it stands alone as being the, the premier way to solve our problems. 
and people that want to use anecdotal evidence to say, well, I don't want kids to use it, or whatever their problem is. I know of a situation that this and that happened. We need to, as a group, confront this like adults and recognize it as one of the, I can only see the remaining viable revenue stream that we can tap into and get this fiscal situation resolved once and for all. Okay, a good point, Eric. I'll uh, I'll mention you asked me to, and I will. Uh, I'll mention it uh, to Jim Nolan. See what he thinks. Aside from all the biases about the cannabis, let's talk about the revenue. That's uh, that's a very good uh, thing to be talking about. That's for sure. Because thank you, we're, Jim. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, when I'm, he thinks I'm. I'm not joking about. Uh, taxes and those kinds of things, but just uh, pointing out that uh, that seems to be the one thing that uh, that they're able to agree on. Well, uh, you know, I don't know any other, was there any other conversation about revenue uh, streams? I don't know what all they talked about. Uh, Terry is next. Hi, Terry. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Just kind of following up on the last call you had about the cannabis. Okay. My big concern is, and it goes from historically what our representatives have done, is there's no guarantee that any new revenue stream will be used for what we want it to be used for. We can go back to the enactment of the state lottery and how they lied about that. That was going to be for educational funding. And then they just stripped other educational funding and replaced it. So it really wasn't additional funding. It was replaced funding. They always seem to find somewhere else to go spend this money rather than spending it where it's needed. And that would be my concern with any new revenue stream is the money getting where it should go. I just don't trust our reps and our congressmen well, to I, do what's right. I would agree with you on that. But uh, isn't it true that we do need money? We do need a revenue stream of some kind. We need a revenue stream, but we also need reform on lots of issues, and that's the thing that they just keep putting off and putting off and putting off. I don't, um, I don't believe the uh, in this latest agreement on this uh, so-called uh, budget that they they uh, signed and overrode the veto and so forth. I don't. Did the governor Ronner get any of his reforms that he wanted? I yeah, I haven't read it in detail. Well, I haven't either, so I, I don't know. Uh, I'll, uh, just gathering information like you probably have, that's the way I understand it as well. And, you know, the pension thing is a big, big issue, and if they don't resolve it, it's just going to keep growing exponentially in the negative way, and, and we, can't, we can't afford that, but that's what's happening. That is the elephant in the room is the, uh, the pensions. There's no question about that. Hey, Terry, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. 924, it's uh, 83 degrees here at the Radio Center. We take our first break right here, coming right back. Jim Dye writes about the uh, state budget in today's uh, News Gazette. In the editorial, he's going through and quoting what uh, some of the other people in nearby states have had to say goes back to uh, 2011 when Illinois was not as nearly in bad a shape as it is now. 
The self-defeating decisions made by the Illinois elected elite prompted the Indiana Governor Mitch Daniels, who is now president of uh, Purdue, to compare our state uh, to cartoon characters. He said, you guys are nothing if not entertaining over there. It's like living next door to the Simpsons. You know, the dysfunctional family down the block. And this week, the state treasurer of Missouri delivered a message to the legislators of his state, don't be like Illinois, is what he told them. And uh, then he goes on to uh, talk about uh, the budget itself. When is a state budget balanced in Illinois? And he says that the Democrats uh, boast that their $36.1 billion spending plan is not only balanced with a $5 billion tax increase, but less than Rauner's $37.3 billion proposal. While the Democrats insist the budget is balanced, Governor Rauner contends it's $2 billion in deficit. Who's right? Well, it depends on the budget year in which the $2 billion is booked. Fiscal year 2017, that ended June 30th, or FY 2018, that began July the 1st. The Illinois Taxpayers Federation President Carol Portman said, I'd say both sides are right. They're just using a different differentiation of uh, balanced. And that's a bad answer for taxpayers because that $2 billion, no matter how it's accounted for, is $2 billion more in taxpayer debt. That sum was part of extra spending in FY 2017 that was never financed. So it's either put the new budget into deficit or goes on top of the state's pile of unpaid bills. The state's nearly $15 billion in unpaid bills, plus another $130 billion in pension underfunding, explained why the bond rating services have not been mollified by the increases in state and corporate income taxes. 931, uh, Brian Barnard has the news headlines, back with more Open Line on uh, Penny. This is Penny for your thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. This is an Open Line. We're at 356-9397. The Castle Heating and the Cooling text line is 3515357. And uh, Dale is next. Hello, Dale. Hey, good morning. Hey, I got a question. Okay. Uh, I've been trying to find out. You were talking about pensions and the elephant in the room. What politicians, but I think maybe during the Clinton administration, was it, that gave state employees this unsustainable 3% every year for the retirees? Where did that start? Who gave it to them? Well, I know. I don't know. I'll uh, I'll try to try to find out, but uh, that's a uh, that's a biggie, isn't it? Well, you know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's do the math. It's unsustainable, and uh, there's nothing we can do about it. But I'd sure like to know who started it. I'm sure somebody out there knows. Well, it'll uh, let me. I'll, I'll put that down in uh, Jim Nolan's uh, note for the second hour. Maybe he can remember that. But yeah. uh, I. Uh, I do believe that uh, 
there's a lot of people around that would like to say, uh, okay, we're automatically going to get 3% raise no matter what's going on in our life or in uh, in the world. Uh, here it comes. And, yeah, uh, I wish, you, you yeah know, it's, I wish I had that. How about you? Yeah, me too. I mean, it's, it's well, anyway, see what you can find out well, about it. I'll do that, it. Dale. And, uh, uh, thank you. Okay. Try to find out maybe uh, somebody knows uh, who who started that, he said. Uh, I guess he's asking who the uh, who the governor was, or who who was in the general assembly. Those those kinds of things. This is a very very interesting uh, story about uh, Mrs. Hauser and this uh, trial. You've been reading about that. Uh, first of all, Mary Shank is a terrific. Terrific writer. She covers this, uh, the crime in the courts, uh, better than anybody could possibly do. And this is a very long story in today's News Gazette about this uh, murder trial over in Piatt County. So uh, I'll get into that a little bit in, in just a while. But uh, Chapin Rose joins us on the phone. Good morning, Chapin. You know the answer to that? Bye. You know what, I just, unfortunately I didn't hear the question, but I was calling in about um, just sort of everything that's happened in the last two weeks. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> so no, I, I don't who, know. Who don't started know the, the, the question was, who started this uh, 3% uh, year after year after year on the pensions? Yeah, so my understanding, and I, it was way before my time, but um, my understanding was back in the 80s when interest rates were, um, you know, double digits. And so uh, people were screaming that... Um, <clears throat> you know, that they had so much loss on their, on their retirement. Of course, you're ineligible for Social Security. And so that's where that came from uh, back in the 80s in double-digit uh, right. inflation. And even double-digit 3%, you're still losing money. The, the trouble is, is, as everybody knows, over the last you know, decade, you've had zero inflation. And so it's just a huge, huge problem. But, um, you know, Jim, the reason I called, and I was listening to the show the last few days, and, you know, it, there's been some stuff missing from the coverage and, and it's, and it's basically, I don't think people realize just how close this was to actually a full agreement on everything. And I was in the room, um, the Friday before the 4th of July, the Saturday before 4th of July, um, with the budgeteers, Speaker Madigan himself was in the room for, for a, a period of time on Friday. And through Saturday morning, everything seemed to be coming, coming in for, a landing where you'd have cuts, you'd have significant reforms. Um, the workers' comp reform is down to just a single issue, and, and meetings have been scheduled to resolve that issue, for example. Um, you'd already passed a couple of the reforms, like procurement and some of the more minor minor things, but procurement's still worth a, uh, several hundred million dollars to taxpayers, and it's, it's a big deal for the University of Illinois. But, you know, the, the biggies were, of course, the pension fees and the, the workers' comp, and um, you also had school funding, and that was absolutely uh, a piece that was. I was in the room. Jason Berkman and myself were in the room, and well, uh, what happened? That that was coming down, and and then you had by Saturday afternoon, Megan had walked away from the table, and um, I'm not going to put words in anybody's mouth. I'm not going to speak for anybody, but I simply think that the House members um, couldn't couldn't stomach. The, the, the pressure anymore on the junk bond status 
and had just come to the conclusion of the do something, do anything. And what is just, I, I, I mean, I can't, it's taken me a week, 10 days to even talk about this because I was so angry, so angry. But, you know, now I'm a little bit calmer, but we were so close to having this thing to a point where the governor would sign it. You'd have fundamental school funding reform. You'd have uh, bills that would actually get paid off. And then instead, people <laughs> went the other way and you got this tax increase. Um, Moody's sees it for what it was. And it was the point I was trying to make to people Saturday afternoon before the 4th of July is why not to vote for it because the, the, the pay down of bills isn't real. Moody's has already pointed that out. It's a push um, of the 15 billion unpaid bills. You might at best pay off 3 billion. Um, you're going to pay off eight to nine, but you're going to accrue five to six. Okay. Accrue new bills of five to six that will go unpaid. So, you know, at best it's a push the, the pension reform. There is one piece of it, pension reform. That's a tier three system that will, mirror what the federal government does where you'll have a 401k and a very small uh, pension to go with it. But, but that will be for new employees, but that does not touch the unfunded liability of the existing system. Um, you know, and, and the biggest thing to me is despite having a 32% tax increase, you're not even guaranteeing schools are open because Manigan put a trap in this bill that imperils school funding for the fall, K-12 school funding for the fall. So I just don't, I mean, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't, get it and I don't get it. And, you know, I made a pledge to the, my constituents not to consider revenue until you had significant cuts and significant reforms. And um, all I can say is, having been in the room, it was so close to actually getting that. And then I think that um, House members, and, and I'm not being partisan here, I think a lot of House members had just said they'd had enough. Junk bond was looming, and they just um, became a product of do something, do anything. And and let me say this: there's nobody in the room that wanted a budget more than I wanted a budget. Everybody, in the, everybody listening to the show knew knows the state of Illinois needed a budget. We needed a, the right budget that systemically changed the way Illinois does business, put us on a positive trajectory for the first time in a long time financially, and made some of the, the reforms that are necessary to move Illinois economy forward and get some jobs here. And, you know, it, it, people say to me all the time, I mean, you know, it, it, the folks on, in this radio area are, you know, very lucky to have a wonderful hub that turns and creates a lot of jobs. The farther away you get from Champaign-Urbana in the 51st Senate district, you know, not so lucky. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, I represent parts of Macon County with, some of the highest unemployment rates, the highest unemployment in the state of Illinois. And, you know, if you're not going to fix workers' comp reform, there's no amount of tax, you know, increases possible to, to sustain the spend. You need people working and paying taxes through work, not just raising taxes on people who are already working. And you need more people working. And that's the bottom line. And so I, no one's reporting this. I, I'm also somewhat dismayed at the, some of the reporting that's been done uh, about this bond that's being floated to pay off the bills because there's no way to actually sustain those payments, which is why Moody's has pointed out they may go ahead and downgrade us anyway. And so at the end of the day, in the span of 12 hours, you're heading towards 
a very positive trajectory for the state of Illinois. And 12 hours later, you had a tax increase, no real reforms, uh, a push on the unpaid budget bills, school funding that is still in jeopardy and schools may not open in the fall. And what do you have to show for it? Well, you have Moody saying they may still go ahead and downgrade us anyway. I just, I don't, I don't get it. Nobody listening to your show should be happy. Um, I'm not happy, and I've probably said all I can say. But, well, but it's <laughs> that's so a very good explanation. I had not, I had not heard that uh, that you were so uh, close. And were House members uh, uh, that close uh, to to doing the whole thing, or were they? Did that just come suddenly, or were they were they tired of uh, being there and wanted to get something done? I, I look, I, the last part is apps. I mean, I think just for me, I'm not speaking for anybody, but it seems to me they just, by Saturday, Sunday afternoon, they saw junk bond looming and just said, we got to do something, do anything. But what happened is, and look, I'm going to be clear. The people in the meeting that I was in were, were, were the budgeteer group. They were all there with the authority of the four caucus leaders. Um, Speaker Mag himself was there for a while. Um, Leader Adonia was there for a while. Um, Leader Durkin was there for a while. Um, uh, Senate President Colton had his three top people in the room, all four staff and directors, and we were shuttle diplomacy to the governor's office, you know, just changing, you know, moving the needle in a very positive way. Uh, K-12, I mean, on the last meeting I was in Saturday morning was a very, very positive meeting for, for K-12 funding reform. And look, let's be clear, and I'm going to take, look, this is partisan, I don't care. The Senate Bill 1, the Democrats' bill, sends half as much money to our local schools as Jason Berkman, the Republican, Senate Bill 1124 does. And that's because 70% of the new funds in Senate Bill 1 go to the Chicago public school system, which only has 19% of the kids. So you know what? Yeah, I, I, I'm not voting for Senate Bill 1. I didn't vote for Senate Bill 1 because it's not right. Now, we, that morning, had a, I think, a legitimate way to address the needs of school districts across Illinois from Chicago to Cairo, and, of course, right here. And it would have been better for all of our local schools than Senate Bill 1. Um, and then I think what happened, that, so that meeting, all the people in that room were there with the authority of their caucus leaders to, to negotiate a deal. That was just on the budget, the meeting I was in. There were other meetings on, like I said, workers' comp was down to a single issue, and that was supposed to happen. And then by early afternoon, um, Nagin does what Nagin does. He, he, you know, as well, the governor's moved the goalpost. That's not, that's not true at all. I was in the room eight days before that, where we specifically brought up with the House Democrats the fact that they'd laid a trap in the state operations part of the budget, particularly around IDOT, I'm sorry, IDOT, the Department of Corrections, and some of the human service providers, where they would not actually be able to spend, pay 18 bills because all of the authority would go to pay off the 16 and 17 bills, which means we're just going to accrue more bills. They were well aware of that. They were well aware of that eight days in advance. Then they come in and tell everybody, oh, well, you know, Governor Rauner brings up a brand new demand this morning. I don't want a brand new demand. I brought it up eight days before that. They knew that. But by whatever happened, happened. And by Saturday night, like you said, the, the House members had just said enough's enough. We're not going to be junk bond, and we're going to do any do something, do anything. And I guess what I'm so personally, what I'm so angry about is how close we got to actually getting a real solution. Well, I so, can uh, certainly understand uh, how you feel. There are a lot of people out here that uh, feel the uh, 
feel the, the same way, not, uh, not even uh, knowing about uh, being that, uh, that close to getting the right thing done, which would be, of course, uh, each side getting a little bit, including some reforms. Uh, that's the, uh, the big problem that bothers a lot of people is, you know, the tax increase is one thing. We don't like any more uh, taxes, but where are the reforms? And I guess uh, the answer to that no, you- was there are not many, right, or not any. No, and you asked that question. Look, procurement reform's done. Again, that's a couple hundred million bucks. Good, that, and that's great for the U of I, really good for the U of I. Um, their local government consolidation reforms, that's done. But, but look, the two biggies, pensions and um, workers' comp, and you got to have the workers' comp. And first of all, people in the say, well, workers' comp's not a budgetary issue. Well, the heck it isn't. We pay workers' comp on everything we purchase as a state. Every nursing home bill has a workers' comp component to it. Every road worker has a workers' comp component to it. I mean, it's in everything we buy as a budget for this taxpayers of the state of Illinois with their money. On the other hand, to move Illinois forward and increase the pool of workers paying taxes, you've got to fix this. Because I represent, I mean, I represent Edgar County right up next to Indiana. It has the second lowest rates in the nation, okay, or maybe the lowest rate in the nation at this point. You know, it is incredibly difficult to get, attract, and retain jobs in Illinois because of our workers' comp system. Um, pensions, you did get a Tier 3, which is a, is the right thing, and it's something I supported and pushed for and, and, and had voted for. Um, it was in the final bump that, that passed as part of the overall budget package. I did not support because of the tax increase without the, the bigger reforms. But, um, but the Tier 3 is the right thing for the future. But, you know, as far as addressing the unpaid, the unpaid liability or anything on the existing well, I believe there was, there was not much there. Yep, Chapin, uh, uh, I'm going to have to move on here, but yep. uh, you've uh, given me a terrific uh, explanation of uh, what happened there, and I, I can understand why you're you're so mad about it. Yeah, one last thing on a more positive note. For all your callers, I completely agree Lou Henson should be in the class. <laughs> should have been in the first <laughs> class. And you were gone last week when that came up. But I'm all, I totally agree. Lou Henson should have been in the first class. Well, hey, well uh, okay, but you haven't asked uh, Mike, Mike Madigan yet. Uh, you know, no. he, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Hey, thanks, Jim. Have a wonderful day, okay? Hey, thank you. Appreciate the call. Well, just out of the uh, clear blue, I had no idea he was going to call today, but uh, that was a really interesting uh, to me that uh, I never knew, and I don't know that it's been, uh, at least he claims it's not been reported uh, that way. Uh, perhaps it has, and uh, we've uh, missed it, but it appeared to him anyway that they were on the verge of getting a lot of things done, getting uh, a bunch of, uh, each side was going to get a little a little something, but that, that didn't happen. 9.52, it's uh, 84 degrees already. We'll take a break. We're coming right back. Back on uh, Penny for Your Thoughts, I'm Jim Turpin, taking your calls at 356-9397. Our friend uh, Greg Grady over in Monticello says the 3% COA was started in 1989, and uh, Jim Thompson was the governor at that time. Uh, Brian is next. Hi, Brian. Hi, Jim. Jim, do you think it's time that we need to secede from Cook County and create the state of Southern Illinois? Well, why, why are you uh, why are you saying that, uh, Brian? You know that's never going to happen. Well, it possibly could. <laughs> uh, no, I uh, 
I know you're uh, you got tongue in cheek, or I hope you do have a tongue in cheek when you're talking about that. But there's uh, certainly been uh, enough reasons to uh, uh, over the years to know that uh, this is uh, basically two states, you one, know, uh, one north and one south. You know, this budget they really didn't fix anything. They just taxed us more and borrowed more, spent more, and no reforms at all in the fundamental things that really made us sick to begin with. Okay, Brian, appreciate your call, sir. 958, uh, 85 degrees at the radio center. Speaking of uh, budgets, understanding the basics of budget saving and monitoring money doesn't always mean that you're in control of your spending. Here are four reasons why you break your budget. These are reasons from uh, Busey. Forgetting the future. Leave emergency savings for emergency. Instead, make room in your budget for discretionary expenses. Rewarding yourself too often. Scale back on impulse purchases and save money ahead of time. Mixing mood with money. Spend money when you're happy and positive, when it's easier to remember long-term financial goals. And bad home equity habits. Don't think uh, of your home as a piggy bank. Be smart with your home equity loan or line of credit. Only borrow what you really need. You can manage your finances whenever you want, wherever you want, with Busey Mobile App, Busey Text, Finance Works, Busey Bill Payment. So regain control of your finances with Busey. Visit Busey.com or call 1-800-67-BUSEY or stop by one of their many convenient locations today. We'll uh, break now for the news from uh, CBS, talk to uh, Jim Nolan for a while, and come back after that with more Open Line here on Penny on WDWS in Champaign-Urbana. And uh, welcome back to our number two of uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. And as I promised, we're going to visit with uh, Jim Nolan. Uh, Jim is a retired senior fellow with the University of Illinois Institute of Government and Public Affairs, Writes a newspaper column, frequently uh, appearing in the News Gazette. And we've had uh, quite a conversation for the last uh, two or three years, uh, Jim, about uh, when is the budget going to happen. And uh, I guess it has happened, but the question now is, what is it? Well, what happened? We've got uh, something yeah. that we call a budget, but uh, Chapin Rose just called uh, a little while ago, uh, just kind of, I didn't know he was going to call, and he sure. he, he explained to me that that on uh, there was one day there, the the close to the the final day, where he thought he was in a meeting, and he named everybody that was in that meeting, and he thought it was going to happen. He thought that that the the governor's reforms, uh, or at least some of them, were were uh, in the bag, along with the uh, the uh, tax increase and and so on, but uh, then all of a sudden it didn't happen, and he thinks that it's just because House members and others were just so tired of the whole thing, we said, we've got to do a budget of some kind, so we're going to do this. 
Does that make any so, sense to okay. you? Okay, so the, so the House members beat him to the punch, or beat that meeting to the punch, is what he's saying. Yeah, walked out of the walked out of the meeting and uh, just said, that "This is what we're going to do." Okay, mm-hmm. it strikes me that this, therefore, is a perfect time for Republicans to put pressure on Dems to do reforms, in other words, to challenge the Democratic leadership to call a special session. Of course, the governor can do that, but it might make more sense to put the pressure on the Democratic leaders to say, okay, now you have a budget without reforms, which is what Madigan said was his primary objective, that reforms weren't part of the budget process. Now, in order to um, make your case in the upcoming election in 2018, filing a circulation of petitions begins in September, you guys have a responsibility to step up and work with Republicans on reforms in workers' compensation, maybe right to work in certain parts of the state as an experiment, whatever. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see what transpires. By the way, you and I have been talking about this for a long time. A couple of years ago, I kept worrying about what topic would I have for my column for the coming week. And now I have a full stack of file folders of related columns that I'm working on. Plenty to talk about, Turpin. Well, I want you to tell me uh, how uh, Winston Churchill wound up in your column. In my column for the coming week, I uh, conclude by saying in regard the budget, which was adopted, which is incomplete, that Churchill said this isn't the end. It isn't even the beginning of the end. It may be the end of the beginning. And that's, (laughs) I think, apt. In other words, we have made a step now after three sessions without a budget toward stability, but we're a long way from it. For example, as I have been reading, the budget that was enacted uh, reduces payments into the pension system by about $1.8 billion out of 7 or $8 billion that we had been paying in on the premise that certain changes in the um, uh, algorithm for figuring out what we owe the pension system have been changed, and therefore we can reduce the amount going in. But these changes that they're talking about don't take place for, oh, they take place over the next five or more years. So we're counting we're counting savings that aren't occurring right now. And now I have to look into that more closely, and somebody like Fred Geertz former economist at uh, the Urbana campus would know this better than I do, and maybe he'll email me, because I know he listens to your show. Anyway, uh, Fred, Fred Gertz was, was on the, was on the my, not my show, but on this our show that's uh, called uh, On the Money. He's on there uh, twice a month. He was on yesterday. I don't know if they uh, talked about is, that or not. Yeah, my point is that the budget doesn't solve our problem, and um, so we have plenty of work to do. Uh, What worries me is that this nightmare 
you know, Mary Shelley uh, writing Frankenstein couldn't have done a better job. This nightmare may continue for a year or years because I think it's now an issue of testosterone rather than policy with mm-hmm. Rauner and Madigan continuing their mano a mano battle and uh, rather than coming together and saying, look, we'll carry the battle on politically outside the arena. Inside the governmental arena, let's start addressing these problems. And I'm afraid they're just not going to do that, uh, unfortunately. Let's hope I'm wrong, of course. Um, Jim, I got a, a letter. Uh, somebody had dropped it off on my desk uh, yesterday, and uh, they didn't sign it, so I don't know who to give credit for this, but it's a, somebody that uh, keeps a lot of things because this is a... Uh, a letter from uh, Tim Johnson, who was then in the House, so you know it's been a long time Illinois ago. Illinois House. Illinois okay. House, and dated August twelfth, 1991. And this entire letter explains that uh, Illinois has got a, is in a tough time, and uh, uh, Governor Edgar has proposed this budget, and they proposed it on March the 9th, and all this time has gone by. It's never once been called by Michael Madigan. And now they, everyone waited until the very last minute to, uh, to do anything. And uh, I thought, oh, my goodness, we haven't gained a thing since 1991. We're still doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And we need to appreciate uh, that conflict is part of politics. We wouldn't need a legislature if everybody agreed. Right. We just right. go ahead and and uh, adopt what everybody agreed to, but we don't. So there's conflict, and yet uh, there doesn't need to be so much as we have right now. It's just, in my mind, it's destructive, and I and I just fear it's going to continue for the reasons I just noted in the, my past in my comments to you. Um, I just don't know how to get out of the problem we're in. Uh, I mean the policy-making problem we're in. We have grave issues related primarily, as I say in this column forthcoming in which I quote Churchill, that are of our own making related to creating a pension system uh, that was too sweet, that we then underfunded, and now the chickens have come home to roost, and everybody is, um, and we're unable to deal with it because uh, an attempt to reduce the pension obligations by maybe eliminating the 3% annual compounded increase in our pensions, state public employee pensions, and make other changes that would reduce the cost into the future were uh, nullified by the courts, saying uh, uh, you can't uh, reduce what was guaranteed earlier. I would think you could reduce everything into the future. In other words, every benefit that I might have earned when in and out at the University of Illinois that I earned was guaranteed but that they could make changes going forward for things that weren't guaranteed. But the court uh, didn't agree with this uh, this uh, 
social scientist who is not trained in the law. <laughs> they didn't like your argument, huh? No, they, nobody likes my arguments, Turpin, except, except you. You keep calling. You must find them at least interesting. Now, don't, don't get too complacent here. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I call you because you're interesting. It doesn't mean I necessarily agree with all your... I'm free, too. I'm free. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, your column was in the Gazette uh, a couple of days ago, and the history, uh, did the history shape dysfunction is the uh, is the headline. I know you don't write the headlines, but it uh, talks about uh, you and uh, Ken Redfield uh, talking back in uh, some time ago in a, in a cafeteria. What, what were you talking about there, the Soviet-style 1950s state office building over in the Springfield. The Stratton Green. building. You know yeah. that building. <laughs> yeah, sure, it sure, does sure. look like a Soviet uh, gulag. That's a, good, gulag. That's a good That's a good place. That, that, that's a good place for you two guys to go, I would think. <laughs> but what were you uh, talking about there, uh, history? and uh, I, Well, the two of us are working on a book that uh, the University of Illinois Press seems to be interested or at least is encouraging us to continue work on and that is has the past half century of actions or inactions basically brought us to the present and uh, for example the 19 and why the half century you know well 1970s we created a new constitution Dick Ogilvy was a liberal Republican modernizing governor who changed a lot of state government, uh, and and Redfield and I've been around that long, so that period might be something worth looking at as we also look at the problems of the moment. For example, the 1970 Constitution, which many people thought was a pretty good document, uh, included things like the redistricting procedure that has not worked and results in one party or the other taking control. Mostly it's been Democrats who've gotten the nod in picking a uh, one party's name out of a hat. And uh, thus this uh, terrible gerrymandering, which allows the legislators to select their voters rather than the voters select their legislators. And uh, then the, uh, the guarantee on the pensions, which has, has flummoxed us at, at, at present, and uh, uh, things like that have, have changed. And also, the state has been declining economically relative to the rest of the states. Uh, and so we used to be a rich state, and now we're an average state. But maybe we're spending as, as if we were a rich state, and as a result of spending uh, money we really can't generate from taxing richer people, we therefore underfund the pensions. In other words, if, the, if it's a uh, billion dollars this year for schools versus pensions, we put it in schools this year rather than into pensions, which don't have to be, uh, obligations don't have to be met for years, that sort of thing. So that's what we're looking at, and I think we're finding that as Seneca and Abe Lincoln have both said, all that's past is prologue. And uh, that's uh, what's happened in the past has maybe created our problems of the present. And so Bruce Rauner wants to throw everybody out. And I think there's, as I say in this column forthcoming, there's something to that because we let 
a lot of these things happen that are now coming home to roost. And you talk about uh, the fact that back in the 1980s that uh, we we switched from the three-member uh, bipartisan house districts. Uh, district. right. Yeah, and uh, is that how uh, was that the beginning of uh, of uh, Mike Madigan being stuck in that position and no way to get him out because uh, back then you had uh, you had three people in each uh, district, right? Three-member uh, house. Yeah, uh, when I was elected under that old system, and it wasn't perfect. No system's perfect, but it may have been much better than what we have now. Under the old system, a house district was larger than the house districts today, elected three people rather than one, and as it worked out, the majority party elected two, and the minority party elected one. So uh, downstate rural areas that were typically Republican would still have one Democrat, and the city of Chicago, which is heavily Democrat, would have one Republican. And so you'd go into the respective Democrat and Republican caucuses of the members, and each caucus the Chicago or the Democratic caucus had downstate members who didn't agree with Chicago members. And in the Republican caucus, you had city Republicans who didn't disagree all the time with Republicans from downstate. Or, another, putting it another way, they provided a different perspective. The result was there was more willingness to come together and there was less power in the leaders because the a Chicago Democrat leader couldn't necessarily lead a downstate Democrat who had his own power base within his own district and therefore didn't need to listen to the leaders. That's a thumbnail, and it may not make sense to your listeners, but uh, that's an attempt to kind of explain that. So today we have one-member districts, and the leaders raise all the money and pretty much have their thumbs on the members, uh, although, as we saw this past week, some Republicans in the House uh, uh, went to, uh, didn't follow their leader and voted for the uh, budget, which included a tax increase. Uh, but getting back to Chapin, whose father and I served together in the Illinois House back in the 60s, 70s, uh, it strikes me that if they're that close to a deal on some reforms, they can be done now and put the Democrats on the defensive, saying, well, you guys don't go with these reforms that we almost agreed to, uh, a pox on your house, and we're going to uh, rake hay and bail it when it comes to the election next year. Uh, Jim, I, uh, we're running short of time here, but a gentleman uh, called me during the uh, first hour when we were talking about the need for a revenue stream of uh, some sort in uh, the state of Illinois, and he suggested the uh, that uh, the legalization of uh, cannabis has worked uh, well in some states, uh, Colorado uh, mostly, where there's uh, a lot of money to be made there. Is that uh, something that would uh, interest you or something that you think would uh, be possible in Illinois? I doubt that it would be a, a significant stream. I guess in Colorado it has generated some money for that state, but I don't I don't think in Illinois it would be a a big stream. It's kind of like gambling. We think gambling can solve our revenue problems when gambling uh, from the lottery and the boats represents maybe 3% of the net revenue from 
of, of the gambling sources that goes into our budget. Uh, and we have, you know, more gambling now than uh, if you and I can walk across the street to a video parlor and gamble. Uh, and it's not solving our revenue problem. Uh, but it could help. I, I'm not saying it's a terrible idea. I'm a civil libertarian, and I think if somebody wants to smoke marijuana, which I do not, uh, he, he or she should have the right to do so. But uh, that's another topic. That's a big topic, Jim. You're going to have to cover that in another session. All right. And Jim, with people uh, more expert than I am. <laughs> well, maybe you should do a little research on that. You know how, you know how to do that, don't you? <laughs> Jim, well, thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks uh, very much, and uh, I'll be in touch. And uh, always, pre- always appreciate free. your time. I'm free, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. And don't be asking <laughs> for a raise either. <laughs> hey, talk to you later. Thank you. I'll talk to you later, Jim. See you. Bye bye. That's uh, Jim Nolan and his views on Illinois politics. Uh, what has been done or what hasn't been done? A break here. Coming right back. It is at 10.31, and uh, Tim Dittman has the news headlines. We'll come back after the news and uh, have more open line up until 11 o'clock. Here's Tim. This is Penny for your thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. Phone lines open at 356-9397. Our Castle Heating and Cooling text line is 3515357. Well, uh, Lauren Tate's doing some uh, podcasts now, and... Uh, uh, here is uh, a sample of uh, what is in one that you can uh, listen to. Uh, it says, uh, Illinois coach uh, Bill Self was uh, sold on Rich McBride. Columnist uh, Lauren Tate tried to convince him that Andre Iguodala was the better high school prospect. Finally, the night before an Illinois road trip, Tate traveled to Springfield one last time to scout out the two Lanfear stars. Boarding the team bus the next morning, Tate saw Self sitting in his customary front row seat. Self asked Tate, you go to Springfield? And Tate said, I thought Iguodala was really good. I think he's a pro. Those were my exact words. Self's reaction? Well, he swore at me and told me to go sit down. I didn't talk to him the rest of the trip. He thought I was crazy. McBride wound up at Illinois for what turned out to be an unspectacular college career. Iguodala starred at Arizona and is still enjoying a stellar NBA run. He's won two NBA titles, was named the NBA Finals MVP in 2015. It was one of the few recruiting mistakes made by Self in a short but productive three-year stay at Illinois. You can listen to Tate's uh, 30-minute podcast for for more. It's uh, 1040 and 84 degrees, and uh, Stan is next. Hi, Stan. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Uh, Jim, you just had uh, Jim Nolan on. And I tried to call because I think you and he and Tate and Rose got the budget timeline wrong. And if I'm wrong, please interrupt me in the middle of this dissertation and and correct me. But as I recall, the budget went through the House 
was passed by the House, went to the Senate, was changed in the Senate, went back to the House, and was passed by the House. And that was in the override. Now, of course, Cape and Rose wants to put up the boogeyman of Mike Madigan, and it seems that uh, using that inaccurate timeline gives people a little bit of leverage in doing that. But I think that people in the media have a responsibility to make sure that elected representatives don't just get to uh, say anything they want to uh, push an agenda that is harmful to the people of Illinois. Well, what he said was, if I heard him correctly, is that uh, instead, before that uh, last uh, vote, there was a meeting where they were trying to uh, see if this is uh, exactly what we want in this bill or not, and it looked like they were going to have a lot more things in it for both sides. And then uh, he said that uh, it blew up, that uh, the uh, House members uh, walked out and they wound up uh, voting for a... Uh, the budget that uh, that we, we wound up with, and that uh, he thought one of the reasons was that everybody was just sick and tired of uh, all the negotiation, and they wanted to get something done. Now, what? But that uh, house what budget is, wasn't the budget. What? But that house budget wasn't the budget that was uh, passed and uh, overridden by the House and Senate. Well, this was before any. Uh, this was before that. Uh, that bill was uh, was passed, is, is, if I have the time right correct, and I think I do. Well, there was a bill passed by the House, but that, was, that bill went to the Senate, was changed, then it went back to the House, and Chapin Rose, being a senator, had an opportunity to adjust that bill in the Senate. But he wants to blame Michael Madigan. Well, he said uh, the meeting he was in had people from both sides. You heard what he said about uh, all the uh, all the people that were there. They were uh, Madigan was there, and uh, people from both sides were there. They were still trying to uh, to work on it. So I understood it, Stan. Listen, I need to go. I'm short of time this morning, but uh, thanks for your call. We're at the ten forty three eighty six degrees. A quick break here. We're coming right back at three five six nine three nine seven. It is 1046 and 87 degrees here at the Radio Center. We go to Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Jim. I was uh, caught part of the uh, J.D. Pritzker interview on the morning show this morning, and what I caught was he said, uh, we're concerned about the working people, working class people, but they just raised taxes on all those working class people. He went on to say that everybody... Once more Democrats elected, but they are, they're not being elected because the Koch brothers are manipulating the elections. And he said, what we really don't want to do is become Wisconsin. You know, all the states around us, Wisconsin, Indiana, they're running surpluses. So we don't want to be them. We want to. <laughs> yes, right. And I did quite. Then he said, uh, we need to pour more money into the so-called the safety net programs because you may not be collecting off of them right now. But you probably will be someday. I just this guy. I don't know if he's delusional or if he's just he's, he's a fool or what. But I just I don't you know. know. He's a guy, he's a guy with a 
a lot of money that uh, can go around and say whatever he wants to say, I guess. Uh, that's, uh, that's the world we're living in now, that if you, if you have a, a whole bunch of money, you can buy television spots and say whatever you want. That's uh, uh, yeah. that's what he's doing. Uh, th- this is very strange that we're both Rauner and uh, and uh, and him and uh, and others are, you know, they're campaigning already. And uh, I, seems a little early. I just don't know why they'll say uh, how anybody could defend Madigan. I mean, the state's been running the ground ever since he's locked himself in, and he's been very shrewd about getting laws passed where he actually locks himself in where he can't be moved out and the state we're surrounded by states that are doing well if you look at every big city in every state that's got you know budget problems they're they're democrat i mean we just yeah jim 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 die was reminding me of uh, some of the things that uh, people around us have uh, said back in uh, 2011 uh, when uh, mitch daniels was the uh the governor over in Indiana, now the president of Purdue, said, you guys are nothing if not entertaining over there. It's like living next door to the Simpsons. You know that uh, dis, uh, dysfunctional family down the block. Yeah, for some reason, they, a lot of people think we need more than just not doing enough. That's the, uh, always the solution on that side. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you're just not spending enough money uh, on programs. You need more of what we got. If we could just turn us loose, if we didn't have any opposition at all, if we could get all of our bills passed, boy, then it would be really good. But we're just not quite enough socialism going on there yet. So. <laughs> the state, a state treasurer of uh, Missouri just uh, was talking to his uh, legislators, and they've had their own troubles there, but he says, he, he warned them, he says, now don't be like Illinois. So we've got, uh, we've got quite a reputation around, not only here, but... Uh, all around the country. We're a laughing stock. I mean, I, all my money, I can't even pay all my bills. It's coming out of savings. Between the taxes and the insurance, that's all I you know, I pay for. Uh, my checks are basically almost gone by the time they uh, take out. We have to pay part, part of our insurance now. And that just it just kills you. And then they want to raise taxes on top of that. You know, I don't. I don't make much money, but anything they take out is it's a, it's a lot. It, you know, it, it you know doesn't seem like uh, oh, okay, well that's not too much. But every penny they take out of there is uh, something that most of us can't afford. That's exactly right. It's coming from everywhere. Tax, tax, tax. Hey, Bill, uh, thanks for the call, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. Tomorrow, uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, John Foreman will uh, be on the show at uh, 10 o'clock. He is uh, just retired from, he's the editor emeritus at the News Gazette. And those of you that have been around here for a while know that uh, John is a very uh, bright guy and he wrote some uh, wonderful columns. Maybe he'll uh, still do that, I hope so. But we're going to talk to him uh, a little bit about... uh, not only what's going on now, various uh, aspects of the news business, fake news, uh, etc., but a little bit about his own uh, career since he has uh, just uh, had, a, they had a retirement uh, party for him uh, a week or so ago. And I think it'll be fun. And 
be good to uh, to have John on the air again. That'll be uh, tomorrow at uh, 10 o'clock. And then uh, both hours on uh, Friday will be Appellate uh, Court Justice Robert Steigman. So that's our lineup. We'll have an open line the first hour tomorrow. And uh, then uh, John Foreman in the second hour and Justice Steigman both hours on Friday. It's 10.52. Let's take our last break right here. We come back. We'll have about five minutes to take more of your calls or go through a couple of other items. So uh, we'll be right back after this. And we go to the uh, phones for Mike. Hello, Mike. Hi, Jim. Um, Just had a a comment. This uh, may be something that everybody else has already figured out, but just just occurred to me after listening to um, Chapin Rose's comments that you know, maybe um, Michael Madigan, with all his experience and understanding of how politics work, had this outcome figured out from the very beginning, and he knew that finally the pressures that would come to bear on the situation would be the rating bond rating agencies and constituents, and um, he knew that he would win in the end because he could convince enough people it would become dire enough and then again, Chapin Rose's comment, he held the people who are the decision makers in meetings thinking that they were going to settle it on a compromise term while they should have been out securing those last final votes. And he was out securing the final votes that made it happen, then came in and said, oh, no, uh, that's off the table now. This proposal that uh, we were discussing about a compromise is off the table. He had his vote secured and it was done. I mean, that's kind of cynical, but... Um, just an idea. I don't know if anybody had floated that idea or not. Anybody else think that well, way? <laughs> well, Michael Madigan had the had the whole thing figured out from the beginning what he wanted to do, and it looked to me yeah. like uh, he wound up getting uh, what he wanted uh, mostly. I think he did. I think he got exactly. He may have not known every twist and turn along the way, but he had enough of the the final end game figured out that he uh, he worked it his way. Just, uh, it's too bad, really. I don't okay, know thanks. how. I don't know how people uh, like that uh, are able to just uh, go to sleep tonight and just carry on uh, a regular uh, life when they're hurting so many people. There's just yeah. all these uh, years that went by without a, even a, a budget, and all the uh, the people that in higher education, east people down in eastern Illinois, they don't even know if they were going to be able to open the school or not, and. Yeah. We got uh, other uh, schools. We don't know if we can open. We can't get by on, you know that that's that's not fair. That's not even decency. It's it's discouraging. Uh, if as in uh, the editorial in Gazette today says, uh, states are the laboratories for democracy. It, it kind of discourages you about the future of democracy. If, it, if this is the way it works, mm. it sure does in Illinois anyway. Okay, thanks, Jim. Hey, thank you. Appreciate your call, Mike. Uh-huh. Well, we've almost made it. We've got about a minute and a half to go. No mention of the Trump family today. Put a circle around this date on the calendar. The big story, of course, was Donald Trump Jr. He was on with Sean Hannity last night, and he said, In retrospect, I probably would have done things a little bit differently. Really? When he met with a Russian attorney during his father's presidential campaign in 
June of 2016. This was pre-Russian fever. This was pre-Russia mania, Trump told Hannity. I don't think my sirens went off on my antenna or my antenna went up at this time because it wasn't the issue that it's been made out to be over the last nine or ten months. Well, thanks to Chapin Rose for calling in. A uh, call back to uh, correct uh, Stan. We didn't have time to get it on the air. If he wants to call me tomorrow, I sure uh, would like to get his uh, uh, clarification here on DWS.